Question 48 of Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on the Passions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Prima Secundae, Treatise on the Passions, by St. Thomas Aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question 48 of the effects of anger in four articles we must now consider the effects of anger under which head there are four points of inquiry first whether anger causes pleasure second whether above all it causes heat in the heart Third, whether above all it hinders the use of reason. Fourth, whether it causes taciturnity. First article, whether anger causes pleasure. Objection 1. It would seem that anger does not cause pleasure. Because sorrow excludes pleasure. But anger is never without sorrow, since, as stated in Ethics 7.6, everyone that acts from anger acts with pain. Therefore, anger does not cause pleasure. Objection to. Further, the philosopher says in Ethics 4.5 that vengeance makes anger to cease because it substitutes pleasure for pain. Whence we may gather that the angry man derives pleasure from vengeance, and that vengeance quells his anger. Therefore, on the advent of pleasure, anger departs, and consequently, anger is not an effect united with pleasure. Objection 3. Further, no effect hinders its cause, since it is conformed to its cause but pleasure hinders anger as stated in rhetoric 2.3. Therefore, pleasure is not an effect of anger. On the contrary, the philosopher in Ethics 4.5 quotes the saying that anger is sweet to the soul as honey to the taste. Quoting from the Iliad, Book 18, Paragraph 109, in the Pope translation. I answer that, as the philosopher says in Ethics 7.14, pleasures, chiefly sensible and bodily pleasures, are remedies against sorrow. And therefore the greater the sorrow or anxiety, the more sensible are we to the pleasure which heals it, as is evident in the case of thirst which increases the pleasure of drink. Now it is clear from what has been said in question 47, articles 1 and 3, that the movement of anger arises from a wrong done that causes sorrow, for which sorrow vengeance is sought as a remedy. Consequently, as soon as vengeance is present, pleasure ensues, and so much the greater according as the sorrow was greater. Therefore, if vengeance be really present, perfect pleasure ensues, entirely excluding sorrow so that the movement of anger ceases. 
But before vengeance is really present, it becomes present to the angry man in two ways. In one way, by hope, because none is angry except he hopes for vengeance, as stated above in question 46, article 1. In another way, by thinking of it continually, for to everyone that desires a thing, it is pleasant to dwell on the thought of what he desires. Wherefore, the imaginings of dreams are pleasant. Accordingly, an angry man takes pleasure in thinking about vengeance. This pleasure, however, is not perfect, so as to banish sorrow and consequently anger. Reply to Objection 1. The angry man does not grieve and rejoice at the same thing. He grieves for the wrong done, while he takes pleasure in the thought and hope of vengeance. Consequently, sorrow is to anger as its beginning, while pleasure is the effect or terminus of anger. Reply to Objection 2. This argument holds in regard to pleasure caused by the real presence of vengeance, which banishes anger altogether. Reply to Objection 3. Pleasure that precedes hinders sorrow from ensuing, and consequently is a hindrance to anger. But pleasure felt in taking vengeance follows from anger. Second article, whether anger above all causes fervor in the heart. Objection 1. It would seem that heat is not above all the effect of anger. For fervor, as stated above in question 28, article 5, and in question 37, article 2, belongs to love. But love, as above stated, is the beginning and cause of all the passions. Since then the cause is more powerful than its effect, it seems that anger is not the chief cause of fervor. Objection 2. Further, those things which of themselves arouse fervor increase as time goes on. Thus love grows stronger the longer it lasts. But in course of time, anger grows weaker. For the philosopher says in Rhetoric 2.3 that time puts an end to anger. Therefore, fervor is not the proper effect of anger. Objection 3. Further, fervor added to fervor produces greater fervor. But the addition of a greater anger banishes already existing anger, as the philosopher says in Rhetoric 2.3. Therefore, anger does not cause fervor. On the contrary, Damascene says in On the True Faith 2.16 that anger is fervor of the blood around the heart, resulting from an exhalation of the vile. I answer that, as stated above in question 44, article 1. The bodily transmutation that occurs in the passions of the soul is proportionate to the movement of the appetite. Now it is evident that every appetite, even the natural appetite, tends with greater force to repel that which is contrary to it, 
if it be present. Hence, when we see that hot water freezes harder, as though the cold acted with greater force on the hot object. Since then, the appetitive movement of anger is caused by some injury inflicted, as by a contrary that is present, it follows that the appetite tends with great force to repel the injury by the desire of vengeance, and hence ensues great vehemence and impetuosity in the movement of anger. And because the movement of anger is not one of recoil, which corresponds to the action of cold, but one of prosecution, which corresponds to the action of heat, the result is that the movement of anger produces fervor of the blood and vital spirits around the heart, which is the instrument of the soul's passions. And hence it is that, on account of the heart being so disturbed by anger, those chiefly who are angry betray signs thereof in their outer members. For, as Gregory says in his Morals 5.30, the heart that is inflamed with the stings of its own anger beats quick, the body trembles, the tongue stammers, the countenance takes fire, the eyes grow fierce, they that are well known are not recognized. With the mouth indeed he shapes a sound, but the understanding knows not what it says. Reply to Objection 1 Love itself is not felt so keenly as in the absence of the Beloved, as Augustine observes in On the Trinity 10.12. Consequently, when a man suffers from a hurt done to the excellence that he loves, he feels his love thereof the more, the result being that his heart is moved with greater heat to remove the hindrance to the object of his love, so that anger increases the fervor of love and makes it to be felt more. Nevertheless, the fervor arising from heat differs according as it is to be referred to love or to anger, because the fervor of love has a certain sweetness and gentleness, for it tends to the good that one loves, whence it is likened to the warmth of the air and of the blood. For this reason, sanguine temperaments are more inclined to love, and hence the saying that love springs from the liver because of the blood being formed there. On the other hand, the fervor of anger has a certain bitterness with a tendency to destroy for it seeks to be avenged on the contrary evil. Whence it is likened to the heat of fire and of the bile, and for this reason Damascene says, in On the True Faith 2.16, that it results from an exhalation of the bile whence it takes its name Chole. Reply to Objection 2. Time, of necessity, weakens all those things, the causes of which are impaired by time. Now it is evident that memory is weakened by time, for things which happened long ago easily slip from our memory. But anger is caused by the memory of a wrong done. Consequently, the cause of anger is impaired little by little as time goes on, until at length it vanishes altogether. Moreover, a wrong seems greater when it is first felt, and our estimate thereof is gradually lessened the further the sense of present wrong recedes into the past. 
The same applies to love, so long as the cause of love is in the memory alone. Wherefore the philosopher says in Ethics 8.5 that if a friend's absence lasts long, it seems to make men forget their friendship. But in the presence of a friend, the cause of friendship is continually being multiplied by time, wherefore the friendship increases, and the same would apply to anger, were its cause continually multiplied. Nevertheless, the very fact that anger soon spends itself proves the strength of its fervor, for as a great fire is soon spent, having burnt up all the fuel, so too anger, by reason of its vehemence, soon dies away. Reply to Objection 3. Every power that is divided in itself is weakened. Consequently, if a man, being already angry with one, becomes angry with another, by this very fact his anger with the former is weakened. Especially is this so if his anger in the second case be greater, because the wrong done which aroused his former anger will, in comparison with the second wrong, which is reckoned greater, seem to be of little or no account. Third article. Whether anger above all hinders the use of reason. Objection 1. It would seem that anger does not hinder the use of reason. Because that which presupposes an act of reason does not seem to hinder the use of reason. But anger listens to reason, as stated in Ethics 7.6. Therefore, anger does not hinder reason. Objection to. Further, the more reason is hindered, the less does a man show his thoughts. But the philosopher says in Ethics 7.6 that an angry man is not cunning but is open. Therefore, anger does not seem to hinder the use of reason as desire does. For desire is cunning, as he also states in Ethics 7.6. Objection 3. Further, the judgment of reason becomes more evident by juxtaposition of the contrary, because contraries stand out more clearly when placed beside one another. But this also increases anger, for the philosopher says in Rhetoric 2.2 that men are more angry if they receive unwanted treatment, for instance, honorable men if they be dishonored, and so forth. Therefore, the same cause increases anger and facilitates the judgment of reason. Therefore, anger does not hinder the judgment of reason. On the contrary, Gregory says in his Morals 5.30 that anger withdraws the light of understanding while by agitating it troubles the mind. I answer that Although the mind or reason makes no use of a bodily organ in its proper act, yet since it needs certain sensitive powers for the execution of its act, the acts of which powers are hindered when the body is disturbed, it follows of necessity that any disturbance in the body hinders even the judgment of reason, as is clear in the case of drunkenness or sleep. 
Now it has been stated in Article 2 that anger, above all, causes a bodily disturbance in the region of the heart, so much as to affect even the outward members. Consequently, of all the passions, anger is the most manifest obstacle to the judgment of reason, according to Psalm 30.10. My eye is troubled with wrath. Reply to Objection 1. The beginning of anger is in the reason, as regards the appetitive movement, which is the formal element of anger. But the passion of anger forestalls the perfect judgment of reason, as though it listened but imperfectly to reason, on account of the commotion of the heat urging it to instant action, which commotion is the material element of anger. In this respect, it hinders the judgment of reason. Reply to Objection 2. An angry man is said to be open, not because it is clear to him what he ought to do, because he acts openly, without thought of hiding himself. This is due partly to the reason being hindered, so as not to discern what should be hidden and what done openly, nor to devise the means of hiding, and partly to the dilatation of the heart which pertains to magnanimity, which is an effect of anger. Wherefore the philosopher says of the magnanimous man, in Ethics 4.3, that he is open in his hatreds and his friendships, and speaks and acts openly. Desire, on the other hand, is said to lie low and to be cunning, because in many cases the pleasurable things that are desired savor of shame and voluptuousness, wherein man wishes not to be seen. But in those things that savor of manliness and excellence, such as matters of vengeance, man seeks to be in the open. Reply to Objection 3 As stated above in the first reply, the movement of anger begins in the reason, wherefore the juxtaposition of one contrary with another facilitates the judgment of reason, on the same grounds as it increases anger. For when a man who is possessed of honor or wealth suffers a loss therein, the loss seems all the greater, both on account of the contrast and because it was unforeseen. Consequently, it causes greater grief. Just as a great good, through being received unexpectedly, causes greater delight. And in proportion to the increase of the grief that precedes, anger is increased also. Fourth article. Whether anger above all causes taciturnity. Objection 1. It would seem that anger does not cause taciturnity, because taciturnity is opposed to speech. But increase in anger conduces to speech, as is evident from the degrees of anger laid down by our Lord in Matthew 5.22, where he says, Whosoever is angry with his brother, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, and whoever shall say to his brother, Thou fool. Therefore, anger does not cause taciturnity. Objection to. Further, through failing to obey reason, 
man sometimes breaks out into unbecoming words hence it is written in proverbs twenty five twenty eight as a city that lieth open and is not compassed with walls so is a man that cannot refrain his own spirit in speaking but anger above all hinders the judgment of reason as stated above in article three consequently above all it makes one break out into unbecoming words therefore it does not cause taciturnity objection three further it is written in matthew twelve thirty four out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh but anger above all causes a disturbance in the heart as stated above in article two therefore above all it conduces to speech therefore it does not cause taciturnity on the contrary gregory says in his morals five thirty that when anger does not vent itself outwardly by the lips inwardly it burns the more fiercely i answer that as stated above in article three as well as in question forty six article four anger both follows an act of reason and hinders the reason and in both respects it may cause taciturnity on the part of the reason when the judgment of the reason prevails so far that although it does not curb the appetite in its inordinate desire for vengeance yet it curbs the tongue from unbridled speech wherefore gregory says in his morals five thirty sometimes when the mind is disturbed anger as if in judgment commands silence on the part of the impediment to reason because as stated above in article two the disturbance of anger reaches to the outward members and chiefly to those members which reflect more distinctly the emotions of the heart such as the eyes face and tongue wherefore as observed above in article two the tongue stammers the countenance takes fire the eyes grow fierce consequently anger may cause such a disturbance that the tongue is altogether deprived of speech and taciturnity is the result reply to objection one anger sometimes goes so far as to hinder the reason from curbing the tongue but sometimes it goes yet farther so as to paralyze the tongue and other outward members and this suffices for the reply to the second objection reply to objection three the disturbance of the heart may sometimes superabound to the extent that the movements of the outward members are hindered by the inordinate movement of the heart thence ensue taciturnity and immobility of the outward members and sometimes even death if however the disturbance be not so great then out of the abundance of the heart thus disturbed the mouth proceeds to speak end of question 48 read by michael shane craig lambert lc end of treatise on the passions